our special guest tonight is uh, Officer Jesus Serta of Fresno Police Department. Good evening, Jesus. Good evening, and, sir. Uh, and Officer Mike Fortune, Fresno PD as well. And then uh, first, welcome, Mike. And um, first, uh, Vice President of uh, Fresno Police Officers Association, uh, Mr. Jordan Wamoff. Welcome, Jordan. And then uh, for our second segment, uh, we have uh, Dr. Uh, Chris Perkins, uh, a local, a fa very famous local oncologist. He's going to be talking to us about cancer and COVID and the new uh, variety of the day on COVID, the new var the variant, variant um, Omicron. I still don't know how to pronounce that uh, correctly. So let's just dive into it. Uh, Mike, uh, you had a few, before the show started, you had a few comments on uh, Fresno PD. Why don't you... Uh, since this is one of your incredible areas of, uh, of expertise, uh, public safety, and especially Fresno PD, uh, tell us about the uh, wellness center, that uh, the public safety wellness center um, that is uh, that, with a grand opening to, that had a grand opening today, and uh, how that came, came up, and uh, uh, Fresno PD's involvement along with yours. Mike? Which mic? There's two mics tonight. I'm sorry. Yeah, I was going to go to Mike, uh, Officer Fortune. I'm kidding. Uh, no, uh, Council Member Carbasi. Mike Carbasi, tell us about your involvement in um, the Fresno PD's Public, uh, Public Safety Wellness Center. Well, I'm going to go back to, I think I had first become a council member. And I was very blessed. That was, what year was that, though? That was 1972. 42. 2019. So uh, this is before COVID, BC. And um, I had this, uh, I was going to meet with this officer. His name was Officer Jesus Serta. I didn't know him very well. We went to Starbucks at Fig Garden Village and he didn't tell me it was his birthday. It happened to be his birthday. That's the big, that's the big uh, thing between us we talk about all the time. And it's the first time I met him. I got to learn about his passion for wellness for his fellow officers. And this is the same time I was doing all those ride-alongs and learning more fast forward to building a new Southeast station and Mike and Jesus had this idea in their mind for a center where we can focus on, you know, people go through trauma, victims go through trauma, but so do police officers. There are things that we see on law and order SVU or we'll see on like Chicago PD, the real stuff they see every day, the families see it every day when the officers go home. And unfortunately we also, as a profession, there have been a lot of officers uh, in the country that have committed suicide. So we have a lot of great programs and I'm gonna, I don't wanna throw the thunder away from them, but basically they gave us the opportunity to support them and raise money for converting the old Southeast police station into a 24 hour wellness center for law enforcement and firefighters, first responders, where they are able to go and get the help they need, whether it's physical help and working out and staying healthy, or the mental or social help they need just to get cope through things and get through all the trauma they experience. Okay, great. Uh, and that opening was today? It was a long overdue. We're so excited, but today was the grand ribbon cutting event. Got it. Uh, so Mike or Jesus, do you wanna uh, comment on that briefly? Sure. Um, so uh, after that meeting with uh, Councilman, uh, well, before he was a councilman uh, with Carbasi, um, you know, 
there was an idea. I was currently working in a small office downtown. And the idea was to take that office off site so that we can expand and, and, and do more work. Uh, well, when the Southeast um, police station moved, or at least their operation moved to a new building, that opportunity came up. So we were fortunate to, uh, to be able to, to move into that location. Uh, it was a long time coming. Now, during that process of writing all the, the proposals for it, um, I spoke to another agency back east, and they had mentioned they tried to partner with their fire department. It never got off the ground because of the relationships between the firemen and the police officers. It just wasn't very good. And so I kind of took that as, well, we have a great relationship. We've been going to the same calls with firefighters and EMS personnel. We experienced the same trauma. Um, it's the same stuff. So we decided we're gonna start doing our critical incident debriefings together. So that was great. So we started doing these, these debriefings together and we noticed that we were building bridges, building relationships with uh, each other agency. And with that, we were able to uh, bring in the fire department into our plan for this wellness center. And quite frankly, without the relationship between the fire department and the police department personnel, this probably wouldn't have been able to happen. So we were very fortunate that we were in such a position that uh, we were able to get it off the ground. So as we moved forward, the idea grew and uh, we put in the work, we, we got the, the remodel done and uh, we did a soft opening early this year. Um, and since then, we've been helping not only our fire, our fire department, but um, our EMS agency, who's a private agency. Um, we also have worked with CAL FIRE, CHP, and the Sheriff's Department, who have also joined in um, when they needed the assistance. Um, so we were fortunate that we had an offsite location where we didn't have to worry about parking. We didn't have to hey, worry about hey, people. Can you speak? Can you speak up a little bit? We're having a hard time hearing you guys. Okay. Sure. Okay. Um, so, so we we um, were able to have all these meetings and not have to worry about a lot of things. One of the big things about an officer, or even a fireman, but an officer for our department, when they wanted to get help with our unit, they had to go downtown and walk, you know, through the parking lot. And everybody would see that person going into the office. So we were fortunate now that with this offsite facility, it allows those people to get the help that they need without being seen. Um, so it's, it's been a Got huge it. benefit. Okay. Cool. Any comments from uh, Officer Fortune briefly before we go to Jordan and, and uh, council member? Yeah, you know, and one of the things too is I, I want to give credit where credit is due. This is Jesus's idea. Like he said, he took over the program about three years ago. Um, I was fortunate enough to be able to fill in with him a couple of different times when he needed some extra help. Uh, so I was able to come on board when he started the proposal process and uh, worked alongside with him to get this done. And, and uh, it was his vision. And I want to make sure that he gets the credit where credit is due because it was his idea. It's okay. his baby. Got it. Thank you. Uh, thank you, officer. Now, uh, Jordan, uh, what are, uh, you want to respond to Mike's comments uh, from before the show that the numbers are down, Fresno PD numbers are, are down and folks are having a hard time recruiting folks? 
Yeah, it, it's tough right now. It's, it, you know, qualified candidates are a hot commodity and it's a simple supply and demand issue. When crime is at an all-time high like it is now uh, in Fresno, it, it's, it's tough to swallow, you know, seeing these qualified candidates go to these other agencies. I'm going to add something. Um, I'm going to say it, and I know I'm going to get hit on after the show. I think this city treats law enforcement like crap. I'm sorry, I'm going to say it. We've been out of contract. It's the only bargaining unit left out of contract. Um, and in my opinion, with it's a big part of the public safety apparatus. So we're failing on that. Um, on the other area, when you look at the actual numbers, not the rosy picture they paint, in 2019, we had 818 officers available to work, 46 recruits. Our recruiting went down. Right now, we're funded for well over eight, almost 800, was I think 853, but we only have 778 people able to work. 851. 851, excuse me. And of them, 44 are recruits. Now, we do not pay comparable, comparable compared to, let's say, Clovis. People say, oh, it's different. No, it's not different. We lose people to communities like Clovis. We are losing officers left and right, and that number is getting worse. We have a retention problem in the city of Fresno. <clears throat> and, you know, I was one of two council members that voted against the budget. I rejected last year's budget. I've always said, no new cops, no budget. That last budget did allocate money ghost for ghost officers, in my opinion, because they don't exist. But the reality is we're allocating money knowing we're never going to be able to spend it because we did not put the pieces in place to recruit actively and make ourselves more competitive. Supply and demand and simple economics. You have a crazy workload in Fresno. Yet you can get paid more and be able to retire earlier working for Clovis. Why wouldn't you go to Clovis? Why wouldn't you go to Dinuba? They pay you more for less workload. Shouldn't we pay people for the work they're doing? I mean, if we're really serious about supporting public safety, it's not enough anymore to say support blue. We have to actually show that as policymakers in this city and put our money where our mouth is. I haven't seen that. I'm getting really frustrated. You have these sideshows that are happening right now. I don't blame law enforcement. I blame our city's government for that. Because if we had enough officers out there to go and saturate those areas, we wouldn't rely on the help of other agencies. But we don't have a choice. The big elephant in the room is why the hell are we losing officers? We even have family members of elected officials that are leaving the department. So something is going on. And until we have a real heart to heart talk about this as a city, I think citizens should be really upset. Oh, what are we doing? I'm, I'm a physician. I really can't speak to the police department per se, but I don't think Fresno is unique as far as its inability to attract police officers. But I don't think it's, part of its pay, but I think part of it is our society's lack of respect for police officers and their inability to fight crime. I mean, I think that's what most of us are upset about. Uh, I was in San Diego and talked to one of the border patrol people there who was on a boat and he said, they'll arrest people and two days later, those same people will be out waving at them, committing another crime. So I think, you know, it's a multi-pronged deficit that we're dealing with, the deficit of not having enough police officers, but the deficit of our legal system not prosecuting people. And that's demoralizing. Who wants to arrest somebody? And then a week later, they're out on the street again 
giving you the middle digit, smiling at you, and you have to rearrest them again. So I think it's, you know, in medicine, we look at data, you know, we're, we do scientific approach to things. And when you say that we don't have the information on why this is occurring, I think, you know, it behooves the politicians to do the deep dive to look at the data without political influence to determine why this is occurring, because I don't think it's just pay. Well, it, it's certainly multi-pronged, and you have to look at it from, from a, a further distance, I would say, because President Police Officers, we handle more 911 calls than any other uh, department uh, per capita officer than any department in, in the Valley. Uh, and, and our officers, officers work extremely hard. hard. Officer, officer burnout is, is, is a real thing. We have mandatory overtime for these guys. These guys are literally burnt out. They are burnt. We are asking so much of our officers and uh, expecting uh, so much more out of them. In, in reality, this problem has been coming for a long time. And we have foreseen this coming uh, for a long time as well. And to put this on, on you know, yes, you could, you could call out the, the legal system, Prop 47, Prop 57. You can say all those things. Um, but uh, we, we simply, simply do not, not have, have the resources. resources. And, and it comes down, down to a simple, simple economic, economic loss, loss as far as getting, getting officers. officers. We lost, we lost 10, 10 officers last, last month. month. 10. 10. Most of them went to other surrounding agencies. What does that tell you? It, it's, 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 it's either a problem inside, inside the department, department or it's an economic, economic issue or, or something like, like, like that. that. Yes, yes, there are frustrations with the legal system, system but uh, here at Fresno PD, we face a lot more than that. Good points. Uh, you make you make some really good points. Um, Mike, comments on that? Jordan, how many months have have has the police department been out of contract right now? Since uh, June of this year. So June of this year. So now we're in November, going into December. So imagine what mess. First of all, I don't. I think a lot of residents in Fresno don't know what that means. Don't know that's actually happening. But the message we're sending as a city that we want you to do more and more. And maybe it's not just dollars, it's not just economics, but you're not gonna have as many back, as much backup, as much officers out there, as much saturation out there. Yet you're not good enough that we're even gonna be able to agree to a contract. Imagine the message that sends the pressure that adds to the rank and file officer out there. It's very frustrating. And I, frankly, as a member of the city council, I feel very embarrassed to look at our officers and tell them, hey, we care about you, but we're not backing up those words with action. And you'll, you'll get all the political speak. They'll say, oh, no, this council's never defunded PD. This council's never done this and that. Well, what has the council done to show them that the same way when we call 911 and they have our back, when their backs are against the walls, we're going to have the back of law enforcement to make sure they protect victims and protect the community. What will it take, Jordan, in your mind to get the powers that be to pay attention to this problem? Because we talked about this in the last budget, the recruiting problems, retention problems. Everyone said, no, it's fine. It's going to be okay. We're okay. It's not okay. There's lawlessness out there. What is it going to take in your mind? Well, there is complete lawlessness, but what it takes is uh, apparently people to, to feel the pressure themselves, lawmakers to feel the pressure themselves, because as we sit here, we're at 68 murders in the city of Fresno. And there's a couple of people who are on life support right now. That number may climb. Uh, we are right on par for last year, which was already a record high of the last 25 years of violent crime. We're on track to surpass 
our 733 shootings of last year, which was a re which was an all time record in the city of Fresno. Um, they should be pretty embarrassed. Uh, we need to get this done. Our, it sends a message to our officers that uh, uh, you know being out of being out of a contract it, it sends a message that uh, we don't support them, uh, that they're not supporting. They need to feel that support from their elected officials. They absolutely do, and uh, they need to come together to make this happen. It's not about it's not about something that officers want uh, or what we deserve it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with we need a sufficient number of officers to appropriately police this city. And unfortunately, the, the powers that be have have uh, not heeded the warning that has been that has been going off for a long time now. Uh, and now the time has come. We're five months out of contract. Um, our officers are uncertain. They're bailing this department. And, and yet there's a bloodbath in this city every single night. And uh, nobody seems to listen. Nobody seems to care. They need to come to the table. Okay. Good points. Uh, I want to bring Dr. Perkins in for more comments on that, and then we're going to transition to um, from your comments on PD, and I know you have a lot of it, Chris, uh, and then to uh, cancer and the new uh, COVID Omicron. I'm just going to say Omicron uh, varietal. Chris, you want to, uh, if you want to unmute yourself first. Good evening, everybody. Uh, boy, COVID, what a uh, fire basket this is to make you know, the proper recommendations. Uh, I can tell you an episode that I had several weeks ago. A good friend of mine asked me, should you know my kids get vaccinated? And my immediate response was, heck yes. And then I did a deep dive into the research to see, should kids get vaccinated? What is the risk of kids developing COVID? And there are less than 900 kids who have died of COVID in the United States, uh, way under the death of other causes in the United States. So I backed off of my recommendation to my friend that he vaccinated his kids. Um, the CDC has you know, come out now and recommended that you know, kids above the age of 12 be vaccinated. And I think it's, you know, you, again, as I mentioned earlier, you, gotta, you have to go where the data is. You know, unfortunately, this COVID vaccination issue has been so politicized that it's hard to get the facts through all the fiction that's out there. And when you look at the facts, step back in time a little bit to when uh, polio was an issue in the United States. And in 1955, um, Salt came out with the vaccine for polio. And it's interesting that in the polio vaccination period, <clears throat> people that received the vaccination, about four to 6% of the recipients of that vaccination developed polio in some minor form, but they developed polio. So that's, I mean, can you imagine if we were trying to promote COVID vaccination, if we said, you know, 6% of you are gonna have a long-term sequelae of vaccination? It's way less than that. The side effect, immediate side effects, sure, there's some muscle aches, and we see it, some lymph node enlargement on the side of the injection. But the long-term side effects, which we don't know, obviously, because the vaccine has not been around that long, are probably minimal. So what has changed over the last 50 years that we were able to vaccinate an entire population for polio, and 6% developed polio, 
to now we have a vaccination that there are very few side effects, at least in the adult population. So you, you ask, why is that? And I think, you know, society has evolved a lot in the last 50 years, some ways good, some ways bad. And I think the evolutionary process that has made this change is that the society is less communal, that we really 50 years ago cared about our fellow man much more than we do now. I mean, now we're worried about posting on Facebook that we had a coffee latte at Starbucks, but we're not concerned about the community. We're not concerned about our fellow man as much as we were in the past. And part of that is the evolutionary process of social media. Part of it is our politicians are so narcissistic themselves that that's all they spew, excuse me, Mike, is, you know, that narcissism. You know, the president, when the Rittenhouse verdict was out, he said he was angry. And I said to myself, how can the president of the United States be angry about due process? How could the president of the United States be angry about the Constitution? And he should have, my response is he should have said, you know, I feel bad for this 18-year-old kid. He's going to carry these deaths on his conscience the rest of his life. I feel bad for the family members of the deceased. We need to pray for them. We need to change our society so this doesn't happen again. But you don't add more fuel to the fire by saying, I'm angry. And so I think nowadays people are so into themselves that they think, you know, I'm not going to get the, the vaccine. It's always I, I, I. And the analogy that I say is that if you're starting to get the virus, you're carrying it with you, you go to the grocery store, you walk by an 85-year-old lady, you give her the COVID and she dies, that's not community. That's not putting the community first. When I tell people getting vaccinated is not about you, but it's about getting this country going. It's about opening up what we need to open up. And and so it's it's you know it's it's become too political. And if you look at the data, hardcore data. And sure, we don't have a lot. The vaccine's been out less than two years. There doesn't appear to be any long-term side effects. And you can get online, and I did before this, to look at, you know, who's preaching the side effect malarkey. And there's a lot, but they don't look at the data. And just like everything in life, if we don't get down to the scientific approach to politics, to our lives, we're, we're never going to see the clarity through all the fog of the nonsense that's out there in, in the media. Uh, Chris, uh, I want you to comment on what you see in uh, Central California in terms of uh, cancer rates. Uh, I know you're, you're, you're an oncologist uh, specializing in women's uh, issues. Is that correct? Correct. Correct. Uh, but before we go there, uh, any comments from Jordan uh, or Officers uh, Fortune, Serta, or Mike Krabasi? No. no. Okay, Mike. Yeah, I just wanted to, um, going back and just real quick about the Wellness Center. You know, it, for the public that maybe doesn't get to see a lot of the things the officers see, can you just give us an example of some of the things an officer might see in a week? Um, a crime scene or something traumatic they may experience. Uh, see, so so what we've been dealing with a lot more lately is child debt, and and to be honest with you, um, that's hard for everybody. Um, but a lot of our folks are parents, 
but every single one of our first responders are humans. And to experience a call where a child drowns in a pool and not being able to save that life really takes a toll on everybody that, that put hands on that child or that was intimately involved in trying to save that life. Going from that call to another fatal accident where people have died in a crash and then going to maybe a domestic violence call where you know a husband has beaten a, a wife in front of the kids and you know all these things add up and that's just one night if it's not properly taken care of then they're building scars on top of scars and they're they're going to have issues down the line when they retire so we're hoping to combat those issues as they come at least a lot more frequently so that they get to their retirement age. Now, awesome. are you doing this on a volunteer basis? Are you, you know, periodically, because police officers for the most are pretty macho guys and they're not, how macho guys are the heart. They're not going to succumb to saying, you know, I have internal pain as often as somebody else would. So do you have within your, your, your jurisdiction to be able to say on a quarterly basis to check in you know, a psychologist that might come in and check in with your officers on a, and say, how are you doing? You know, and entice them to, to seek help because I don't see police officers doing that on a voluntary basis. Well, it's, it's a lot more than that. And I, I want Jesus and Mike to chime in. So what I can tell you is early on, a lot of the officers look to the sergeants. Now I've been to a few briefings where they actually sit around and talk about it's okay to get help. It's okay to ask. And we have a companion officer right. program. This, this is one thing the city really is doing right. And it's that investment in our, our current force and making sure that they have wellness. But can you give us a little more details, Mike and Jesus? And by the way, if you can do it quickly, because we got there's several questions about uh, Dr. Perkins' uh, comments on COVID and on the vaccine, which I want to get to uh, before uh, our time is up. So if you can uh, uh, officers fortune and sort of quickly answer Mike's question. You are mute, by the way, Mike. Officer fortune. Yeah. Mike, you're still on mute. There we go. There Is we that go. better? Okay. Uh, one of the things that we've done, is we have through the FPOA, as Jordan well knows, is we have our companion officer program, which is a voluntary basis. And it, there's approximately 43 trained companion officers that we have that we utilize for as many critical incidents as we can. We also have myself and Jesus working on the employee services side, the department side. So it's, it works hand in hand and allows us to do a lot more being able to utilize both sides to get some stuff done. Um, and one of the things that has happened since we've moved into this wellness center is we are getting a lot more phone calls, a lot more emails from supervisors. Hey, my guys were just on this critical call. Um, can you please check on them? There's been a couple of days and Jesus will admit there's been a few days we've come to work and somebody's literally sitting in the parking lot waiting for us to get to work because they need to talk. So um, it's working and it's getting a lot better. Okay, great. I want to jump back to Dr. Perkins. A uh, couple of questions. Can vaccinated people carry the virus? And also uh, from Enga, what does uh, Dr. Perkins recommend for early COVID treatment? 
So yes, vaccinated people can carry the virus. There's some data to suggest that their viral load is less than an unvaccinated person. Um, you know, the current treatment for COVID <clears throat> obviously has evolved. Uh, there's a lot of proven and unproven treatments. Um, right now, I you know, and this is out of my wheelhouse to know, and I can't tell you with 100% certainty what the inpatient treatment is. But, you know, most patients don't need to be admitted. If they are admitted, sometimes they're candidate for the monoclonal antibodies and then supportive care. And then the antivirals as well. Um, so, you know, I, there is effective treatment. You know, um, it's all about catching it early. And, and okay. so another question uh, from Jake. Uh, do the current vaccines fight against Delta or this new variant? Do you know? Yeah, it's, nobody knows the answer to that question as far as the new variant. I think it's too early. I think the drug companies are working to try to figure out what this new variant is all about. And, you know, the interesting thing uh, that, you know, this messenger RNA technology is that once they sort out this new variant, they can create a vaccine within 14 days. Uh, it takes longer, obviously, to produce it, ship it, get it out to the public. But it's a phenomenal new technology. And, uh, you know, personally, I think we're going to have COVID around for a long period of time. We're going to have more variants than this variant. But the ability for the drug companies to generate a vaccine is, is amazing. It's uh, just phenomenal new technology. Good. Uh, another question from Inga. So a vaccinated person can infect that 85-year-old uh, person and kill her? Less likely. Okay. Because their viral load is less. Got it. Uh, and then another question from Inga. So there's not enough focus on uh, boosting your own immunity. Um, what, do you th what do you think about that? Well, you know... My, my question to that is the same uh, question when it comes to, you know, curing of cancer, because we get a lot of patients that, you know, think their immune system is going to cure their cancer. And, you know, the immune system is an amazing gift from the man upstairs. Uh, it does great work, but it's not perfect. And, um, you know, I think, you know, the vitamin C data is very interesting data. Linus Pauling won the Nobel Prize for the vitamin C data. After his death, they found that his data was fabricated. So the vitamin C data is not legitimate. Uh, zinc um, might help a little bit. Um, but, you know, my idea for the people that don't want to be treated and don't want to be vaccinated about your own immune system is that, and I tell this in my own oncology practice, you know, God gave us the brain to develop these new technologies. Chemotherapy, for example, my specialty, that we're able to cure chemo cancer with chemotherapy, just as we're able to, you know, hopefully decrease the risk of infecting other people and by being vaccinated. So, you know, you can say, oh, I think my own immune system should be able to do it because that's the way God created me. But God created us to be ingenious people to create this vaccine or chemotherapy to treat our patients or treat the population. Okay. Um, so the viral load, again, Robert Wharton had a, has a question, viral load might, might be less, but you could not know you have, you have it and spread it at the same time. 
I don't understand that question. So if you're vaccinated, the viral load may be less. Correct. But you still could, uh, you know, get other folks infected. That's correct. But the likelihood okay. is less less than if you were not vaccinated. Okay. And had the disease. Uh, Cody has a comment. The major link to serve COVID reactions seems to be obesity. Um, is there a link? Yeah. We've heard, I've read that several places that uh, uh, the virus likes fat cells. Is that correct? Have you, do you have any uh, information on that? No, I don't. But, but indirect, I mean, most people that are obese are, have other comorbid problems, diabetes, hypertension. And it's these comorbid problems that lead to increased toxicity or illness due to COVID. Uh, but I don't think fat cells in themselves. I think it's the comorbid conditions of fat people that make them more predisposed to more intense COVID if they develop it. Got it. Okay. Um, any comments from uh, Mike on that before we uh, wrap up the show? We're trying to kind of morph all these things together. By the way, before we go to Mike, Chris, anything, Dr. Perkins, anything on uh, oncology in town? Well, I think it's, you know, unfortunately, I think we're going to see a rise in more advanced breast cancer cases over the next couple of years. And that is because uh, women are delaying getting their mammograms. You know, they don't want to go into a medical facility for mammograms. You know, most of the medical, medical facilities here in town anyway, to get your mammogram are outpatient. And the likelihood of contracting COVID in one of these outpatient facilities is pretty small because all of us are taking precautions to prevent that. We clean rooms, you know, my staff are constantly cleaning, you know, they're uber conservative about, you know, wearing masks and, you know, we have to all be vaccinated here shortly. So, you know, I think that I would like to encourage the general population, please get your mammograms on a timely basis. Uh, you know, colonoscopies as well. You know, I'm seeing a number of patients who are delaying getting their colonoscopies. You know, prevention, finding a small cancer is the greatest part of being cured. If a cancer is one millimeter versus five centimeters, my ability to cure that one millimeter is very high in contrast to a five centimeter cancer. So I would encourage the general population, stay on top of your general screening, you know, get in to see your physicians, um, because I think, you know, for the most part, medical offices are pretty safe. Got it. Okay. Uh, a couple of other questions. Uh, any benefit from Ingo, any benefit to check your antibodies before getting a booster shot? No. Okay. Okay. Uh, Mike. Yeah, um, Dr. Perkins, I want to thank you for bringing attention to the potential for increase in breast cancer and colon cancer and other cancers. Cancer has been the second leading cause of death in this country, and COVID is very serious. But what can we do? Let's say you have a relative or a partner, and you want to make sure they're they're taken care of. I mean, I know you can do self checks at home for breast cancer, but it's not nearly even close to a mammogram. What do you suggest other than encouraging go get checked like normal, and it is safe because hospitals and clinics take incredible precautions. Well, just to tell them what I just said, that a cancer is two millimeters in diameter is much more curable than something that's five centimeters in diameter. And the, the idea is to catch it early. The great, you have a much greater chance of curing a disease if it's caught early. 
and you know to reinforce that the you know all these facilities are very safe. Okay. Uh, it seems like there's not a whole lot of other comments or questions on our feed. So we're gonna uh, wrap up this show a little bit early tonight. Um, and so let's go to any final comments. Uh, we'll start with Jordan uh, and then the two officers, uh, Chris, and then we'll end with Mike. Jordan. I just wanted to thank you for uh, having me on and a uh, uh, good discussion. Uh, just as we uh, sat here now, we just had another murder at Ash and the Marks. That makes our 69th murder of the year. And uh, it's time for people to get serious, elected officials to get serious about uh, keeping the officers we have and figuring out ways to bring new officers to this city. Got it. Thank you. Officer Fortune. I just want to say thank you again for having us on and giving us a chance to talk about the Wellness Center. Um, Mike Carbasi has been a huge help and uh, thank you for everything that you guys have done to this point. Awesome. Jesus? You're muted, sir. That's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just want to say thank you for having us here tonight. Um, and, and I do want to encourage the community, if at all possible, to um, continue supporting us with our wellness center. That's that's awesome. And and thank you for the help that we've gotten so far. Thanks, guys. Awesome. And then to Dr. Perkins. Uh, also, Darius, thank you for having me on the show. Uh, I want to, from the bottom of my heart, thank the police department in Fresno. I think you guys are phenomenal. Uh, I feel your pain as far as <clears throat> being able to hire the right people and have enough. Uh, I think it's not good that we don't have a full police force. Um, and I think in closing, I would just ask the viewers to start looking at developing a more compassionate look towards our community and not to be so consumed about themselves and helping your fellow man and you know, the analogy that I, I use is that, you know, if there's a dog on the side of the road and that dog's been hit, has a broken leg, you know, we take him into the SBCA, the SBCA takes care of him, finds a home for him, but we drive by our homelessness, homeless people, and don't care about them as much as we do for that animal. And I think there needs to be a shift in consciousness of the people of this community to start taking care of these people uh, because they are ill, they have mental illness, they have other problems, and we just need to shift into a more compassionate, loving way of life instead of consumed about us and our Facebook page, which I don't have one anyway. Great points, uh, Dr. Per Perkins, that's great points. Mike? Yeah, thank you, Darius. Dr. Perkins, thank you so much for answering the questions of our viewers very frankly. Um, I think it's great that people can ask questions from a qualified physician about uh, the issue of COVID and the confusion, but of, of all the great things you said, what I really appreciate is that warning that we don't want to increase cancer rates, please go get checked, and the facilities are safe. I mean, the precautions are taken. Exactly. And I hope that's something that we promote uh, at, at GBWire. Um, on another note, um, we talked about caring about the community, which I think you're absolutely right, being more compassionate. 
Mike and Jesus, you two have worked very hard and diligent to keep that. I mean, that building potentially was going to be something else. You guys pushed really, really hard and gave us the opportunity to work with you to make sure that we are taking care of the very people who we call when we're in trouble to take care of us. And it also helps their families as well. So thank you so much for helping our first responders have a safe place. Um, and then going back to Jordan. Yeah, tonight uh, I'm a little bit more uh, impassioned about this issue of safety. It was a big promise of mine when running and I think that we have to keep our word. But I've just learned that, you know, it's amazing when people get elected, something changes where they forget who put them there, where they're from. Um, and I just see so much potential to do better. And our homicide rate may, is on its way to surpassing last year, which was already, when you look per 100,000 people, we have four times the homicide rate than Los Angeles. And wow. we can do so much better than that. Uh, Fresno can do so much better than that. And I believe in the power of love and we need to show the love to the people that risk their lives every day. Yeah. So um, we need to do better. Thank you, Mike. Uh, and uh, I want to thank Dr. Perkins for your uh, words of wisdom and for taking care of so many uh, patients that are in uh, really very, it's a very difficult time of their life. And I know you've uh, cured a lot of folks here, a lot of women, especially uh, in, in the Valley. Uh, grateful for that. And thank you for coming on the show. You have, you have a wide spectrum of things that you know about, uh, especially as it comes to uh, policy and uh, elected officials and what their role is. Uh, and I also want to thank uh, Officers Fortune and Serta for joining us this evening. And of course, uh, First Vice, Pre Vice President uh, Jordan Lamoff. Uh, thank you for all the great work you guys do. I know it's a, it's a, it's a well, I, we know, but we don't, we, we've, I've never done your work uh, it's a very difficult job. Uh, it's a very stressful job. Uh, sometimes you're under attack by many, uh, not only the bad guys, but also uh, sometimes the media. We, we, you know, at, at least from my perspective, and I know I can speak from everybody's on, on this uh, screen, that we have a lot of respect for, for, for Fresno PD. You guys do great work to keep us safe. Uh, safety first. Government's number one responsibility is to keep its citizens safe. Uh, and I know in the, in the weeks uh, to come, Jordan is going to come back and talk about uh, some of the other options that are, other cities are looking at, uh, pros and cons to that on, on policing. So we'll, we'll, be, we'll be firing that up here very uh, quickly. But uh, thank you for keeping us, our city safe. You're understaffed. We found out tonight. Uh, you don't have all the resources you need, but we we're grateful. Uh, for the work you do to keep it, to, keep, to keep all of us safe in Fresno. Uh, thank you for all of us at uh, GDWire, and I hope to see all of you next Tuesday. And good night.